You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. This is your host, Sarah Box of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. I want to thank you for joining us this week for this episode, which I know you're going to enjoy because the podcast is all about shedding limiting labels and beliefs so that we can all live more fully, more authentically who we are. And I just think more vibrantly and brighter in the world. And this week we are joined by Leonard Perlmutter and he is the internationally renowned meditation teacher, also known as Ram Lev. Um, he is the founder of the American Meditation Institute, author of the best-selling The Heart and the Science of Yoga, and the originator of the National Conscience Month. We're going to talk about that a little because I have some questions about that. He, is, he uses proven tools that are, is, that are tools that are grammar link there from 5,000 year old yoga science playbook and has adapted those for the Western mind and how we think. He's also created a plan that simply and elegantly puts the power back into our hands when we adhere to our conscience, which is the heart of our discussion today. Leonard is the author of Your Conscience, The Key to Unlock Limitless Wisdom and Creativity and Solve all of life's challenges. That is a big promise from a single book, um, but that book has been described as an elegant, simple, and life-changing guide to putting our conscience in the driver's seat. And personally, I'm excited to learn more about that. Um, so now with that as a beginning place, let's, let's welcome today's guest, Leonard Perlmutter. Hi, Leonard. How are you? I am well. Thank you very much for the invitation. Appreciate well, it. Well, I'm really happy to have you on the show. As the listeners know, I like to start by asking every guest a similar question, and that is, is there something you do daily that keeps you focused on your own big goals, your dreams, your purpose? I guess the answer is yes. Uh, I look at life uh, today as a military engagement and I know that uh, all military science came from yoga science. The, the different techniques and philosophy of yoga science have been incorporated into military science. And so old habits that are very, very strong that gets us off track very often need uh, a firm hand at the keel, so to speak. And so uh, I have a systematic procedure every morning uh, when I wake up. I take care of my ablutions. I uh, do some uh, easy, gentle yoga, uh, uh, a short, uh, nice program uh, that uh, helps me to uh, see how the body is operating, how the mind is operating. I do uh, breath work because the breath is the physical manifestation of the mind. 
And in preparation for meditation, it's important to calm the mind. So the breath does that, but the breath also is the is the vehicle for the energy, the prana that animates this city of life. And then I, I sit for meditation prior to having a substantial breakfast. Okay, you just surprised me. I've never heard of the link between yoga and military. Um, I've, I've known it for the other martial arts, but not yoga. And so that was a great surprise for me to learn that. So I've now ticked off, learn one new thing every day. Well, um, even the mar- all the martial arts originate with yoga because yeah. it's all about that calm center. Yeah. yeah. So that's wonderful. So you're actually what people think people, Western, maybe people unfamiliar. And now I'm going to have to learn more so that I can know more. Um, underestimate the impact and power of yoga, because we know it's for good for our health, mental health, physical health. Um, for me, it's just like being able to live in my body better and longer, hopefully. Um, but I didn't know from that piece, whereas I've recognized that for things like Aikido, Jiu-Jitsu, tai, all those, right? So now I'm going back into a little more study on my own, Leonard. Well, when uh, the uh, when the mind... Uh, uh, throws a fit and uh, doesn't want to uh, do what needs to be done, uh, it takes a, uh, a, a loving, firm hand, a little tough love. And uh, that's where the, uh, the military aspect, when I, when I gave a, a lecture at, at West Point, uh, the United States Military Academy, uh, at the conclusion, the colonel who invited me asked if I had a, a history in military science. And I said, actually, no, but that yoga science is the origin of all military science. And so it was an eye opener for him, just as it was for me when I heard it for the first yeah. time. Well, I like it because there is that tough love you have to do. I do. And like anything I'm like confronted with, my mind wants what it wants. But then I'm going, but that is not what's necessary here. Someone's got to be in charge. And it's not the one I want, I want, I want part. So there's a, there's a, a, a stereotypical uh, quote from just about every uh, uh, B uh, gangster movie where some gangster will look at another person and says, uh, nothing personal, strictly business. And that's the way I talk to my mind very often. <laughs> this is not personal. I love you. <laughs> I want you to be happy and I want you to be healthy. But, but right the, now I'm oh. in charge. <laughs> okay. So and I'm not even and I'm not even in charge. You see, uh, the conscience is reflecting the superconscious wisdom, and I'm simply a servant of it. <laughs> okay, we're going to get into that. So I want to start though with why did you write your book? Let's just start there. Uh, I, I wrote the book when I was in quarantine uh, in the early winter of 2020. And students were not coming to uh, our facility at the American Meditation Institute. And as a teacher, how was I to teach? I had begun a little bit of online 
teaching, but it was new to me. I wasn't very comfortable with it. We didn't have many classes online. And so it was a challenge. So I sat myself down and, and, and I said to myself, Leonard, uh, you're a teacher. This is your dharma. This is your purpose in life. How can, how can you uh, continue uh, teaching? In what form? And so, like all of us during th that early period, I, I was watching uh, the news. I was reading the news. I was listening to people as best as I could. And I, I, I could see that people were in a tremendous amount of pain uh, because things were upside down and inside out as we all went through. And fortunately, I feel very blessed that, that I had developed these tools from yoga science that helped me deal with the unexpected. It's a bit of a throwback, if you will, to my early days as a, as a child. Uh, I was very attracted to scouting. So I joined the Cub Scouts and I joined the Boy Scouts because in addition to philosophy as one of my guide stars, the other uh, principle that uh, seems to have always been present in my life is practicality. So I'm sort of a practical philosopher. And so I, I had a natural attraction to scouts. And I once had a conversation, <laughs> it was interesting, with my scoutmaster. And I said, gee, uh, the, uh, the motto of the scouts is be prepared. What are we supposed to be prepared for? And he looked at me with a strange look in his eye, and he said, how would I know? <laughs> and that's exactly right. How, do, how would we know that COVID was going to be coming? How would we know that uh, uh, politics would, would be as dark and as ominous uh, and anger-provoking and fear-provoking as it is today? We, we would never have been able to write that script. I would never have been able to write that script. And so about 20 years ago, I had a, an auto mechanic. He knew nothing about yoga, but he was, a, he was a yogi and he was an intuitive yogi. He said something to me that was very, very important. And I've remembered it every single day since. He said that if you have the right tool, every job is easy. Oh, I like that. Cause it's so true. Isn't it true? It is. At least, at least it's doable. You know, it might not be a piece of cake, but it's doable. Yep. And so I, I was in quarantine. I have these tools. I need to gift them to people as part of my service. And so what am I going to give them? I'll give them an understanding of the most powerful tool that we have as human animals. And that is our conscience, because our conscience is what separates us from every single other species of animal. So can we dive into that a little bit more, Leonard, and talk, you know, when I was reading your material and learning a little bit more, you know, you talk about our innate universal wisdom um, and our conscience. So can you talk about the four functions of the mind and help us understand more fully what you're talking about, I guess? I, I, it would be a joy, be, be, be my pleasure. Of course, you know, since childhood, I think that many of us 
certainly I did, I was aware that there were different voices in my mind, but I, I couldn't figure out what was really going on. But it did seem like there were four distinct, uh, maybe people inside my head uh, talking to me, advising me. Uh, as it turns out, it's all true. There are four functions of the mind. Now we have to realize that when we talk about functions of the mind, we have to understand that the mind is our most powerful instrument. What does that mean? It means that we cannot take an action as a human being without first entertaining a thought. That means even if I wanted to raise my hand, I couldn't do it without first entertaining a thought. What that tells me is that the mind moves first and the body follows. And so the thoughts that we give our attention to will ultimately develop into the speech and the physical actions that we take. And all of these actions, whether they're mental or verbal or physical, always bring about consequences. This is what is known as the law of karma. Thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to consequences. So what's the consequence we all want to uh, experience? Oh, we want to be happy. We want to be healthy. We want to be secure. So it begs the question, doesn't it? How are we going to get to point B from point A? The answer is we need a business plan. We need a philosophy of life. Mm -hmm. And so understanding the four functions of the mind is the key. Because the mind moves first, the body follows. And the consequences flow from that. So we can experience the consequence of happiness and health and security, or just the opposite, pain, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. Can I ask you a question? Um, the, so when you started by talking about like the things we were experiencing in early parts of COVID and not being able to imagine that, to what degree do our experiences or our beliefs influence our thoughts? I'm trying to figure out, is it belief, thought, thought, belief? Is it a cycle? How do you describe that, Leonard? My experience is that our perceptions, that which we perceive in the world, is skewed by our concepts by our conceptions. Perceptions are skewed by our conceptions. Okay. So we don't really experience the world. We experience what we think about the world. And here's, I think this is a very timely uh, uh, topic. I love baseball. Uh, at the present time, uh, we're uh, headed toward uh, the World Series, which is always the culmination uh, in the major leagues. And there's a story about three umpires, three baseball umpires. And they were having dinner together, talking shop. And shop to them is what constitutes a ball and what constitutes a strike, because that's, that's their responsibility. They call balls and strikes in the games. And so the first umpire, who is a rookie umpire, said, I call them as I see them. And the other two nod. Very good, very good. And the second umpire, who's been calling balls and strikes for 10 years, 
looks at the other two and says, I call them as they are. Oh, he calls them as they are. And then the third umpire, he's an old pro calling balls and strikes for 25 or more years. He looks at the other two with a little glint in his eye and he says, they are what I call them. <laughs> and that would be us in life. We're constantly calling our own balls and strikes, you see, based on the concepts that we have. And here's, here's the challenge for us. So many of the stored concepts in our unconscious mind are faulty. We got some of them from mom and some of them we got from dad. Some we got from grandpa or grandma or our siblings or our friends or our teachers or the politicians that we met or celebrities. And we've been walking around with this software stored in our own unconscious mind and it skews our perceptions. So how do we write that ship? Right. So how do I know? How do I know which are faulty and which are not? Is it possible to know that, I guess, is the first question. And then how if it is possible, how do I know that? It is definitely possible. It is definitely possible. It takes some work. It takes some dedication and it takes a tremendous, tremendous amount of love. The answer lies in the four functions of the mind. We need to understand the four functions, how they function, and how I, as their parent, because we are a holistic organism, we're in this together, we're all living this life together. It is up to me to become the teacher, the parent of the four functions of the mind. So the first function I could talk about is the ego. We're sort of familiar with the ego, but the cultural spin of what ego is, you know, vanity, being puffed up about oneself, uh, their self-importance, that's a very, very small, myopic definition of ego. Ego is, is much more complicated than that, much more expansive. The ego, I see the ego as it appears that the ego is hardwired to the reptilian brain. Now, the reptilian brain, we all carry this reptilian brain. Uh, it is heavily invested in self-preservation. Because it is heavily invested in self-preservation, so too is the ego invested in self-preservation. You know, I don't want to die. I don't want the form to be lost because it's me. Exactly. I, I, I translate it as me. And, and with that emphasis and attachment on self-preservation, both the ego and, and the reptilian brain suffer from a tremendous nagging fear of annihilation. So in service to the reptilian brain, the ego which is all about survival, interjects itself in every relationship as a color commentator. Now, you have to understand that 
Only one function of the mind can make a decision, and I'll get to that later. But for the conversation about the ego, it's important to remember that the ego cannot make the choice for us. The ego can only recommend. It is an advisor, a counselor, if you will. And the ego only has a limited perspective. It's often wrong, but it's never in doubt. And it's loud, and it's pushy, and it's insistent. Mm -hmm. And so... Can we trust it? Sometimes, yes. Right now, both of us, you and I, Sarah, need a healthy, strong ego to have this conversation. And after this conversation, I have to go to the grocery store to do a little marketing. To drive my automobile or my truck, I'm going to need a healthy ego. And I want to be able to rely on that limited perspective so that the ego will keep me <laughs> in one in uh, in in alive <laughs> you'll get to and from the market and i will get to it without accomplishing an what you needed to do that's right that's right so the ego insinuates itself into every relationship and cuts it in half this portion over here it says oh over here this is very pleasant i like this i call this good let's reprise it and over here this portion oh This is very unpleasant. I dislike this. This I consider bad. Let's eliminate this from our life. So what happens is, and this has happened already, the mind becomes addicted to the ego's likes and dislikes. And we already know, we know this. That which appears as pleasant is not always good for us. That which is unpleasant isn't always bad for us. And yet if we are in lockstep with this limited perspective, we know going in that we're going to experience quite a bit of pain. Okay, that makes sense. So that's one of the um, four functions is the ego. Right. right. Okay. Second is the senses. Okay, now the senses are very interesting. You know, the the eyes, the nostrils, these organs of sense, the eyes, the nostrils, the mouth, the ears, the hands, the feet. And so our mind projects our creative energy all the time through the senses so that the senses can go out into the world to look and smell and taste and listen and touch and bring back information to our awareness, into our consciousness, looking for objects and relationships that are going to make me happy, make me secure, make me healthy. So they feed the ego? Oh, uh, they feed the ego uh, a lot. They, they're sort of uh, uh, in, in sync with one another mm-hmm. because they're similar to the ego. The senses are very nearsighted. They can only see the front that which appears as pleasant. That's what they're always looking for. This, oh, this is pleasant. This is pleasant. Let's get this. Let's do this now. Let's taste this. Let's look at this. Let's smell this. Let's listen to this. Let's touch this. It's so pleasant. They're nearsighted, so they can see the pleasant nature of the front, but they never look at the back, which is filled with pain. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So the problem for us is the mind has become addicted to extruding our creative energy through the senses. And it's just like when we brush our teeth and we squeeze a tube of toothpaste. If we squeeze the tube of toothpaste, certainly the toothpaste is going to come out. But what if we had to put the toothpaste back in the tube? Well, that would be impossible virtually, wouldn't it? The same with our creative energy. Once the senses spend our creative energy chasing all these pots of gold at the end of all these infinite number of rainbows, we don't have, we don't have what it takes, all this creative energy, to fulfill the purpose of our life, to fulfill all of our duties and responsibilities. So what do we experience? We experience stress. We experience anxiety. Well, and fragmentation, I would think, too. It's like you just, for me, when I'm in those, and I can tell when I've become that way, like where there's too much going on. I can't eat when someone says, how are you doing or how do you feel? I'm thinking, well, that's a great question. I have no idea. Like I'm in all these other spaces, right? There is no single way of feeling. I have to go each to those spaces. Um, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's really exhausting. Okay, so, that's, so we got the senses. So we have the senses. And remember, they're limited perspective. They can only advise. And they too are loud and pushy and insistent. <laughs> they sure are. They are. They are. And it's encouraged by the culture. Well, that's it. It really is. And that's what I'm noticing too in my conversations with folks. It's also one of the things I'm watching people start to pull back from. It's a slow pull, but it's a, it's a resistance or a rebellion against that constant push, push, push. You have to do more, be more, and all of that. It's slow, but I can see it starting with people saying they're not quitting, but they're not conforming as much. Well, I think that I, I do feel that that's one of the blessings, the hidden secret blessings of the COVID. I do, too. Yeah, people are beginning to look within and trust within because we've been taught by the culture that all the experts are outside, but that's not working too well. No, we know. We know if we, we know. We do know. So that's the senses. Okay. Now, the unconscious mind, this is the repository of all of our merits and demerits, all of our habits, all our memories that we want to hold on to that we deem essential to self-preservation. Some are pleasant memories, some are unpleasant. And all those imaginations for the future, you know, what if this should happen? What if that should happen? What if neither happens? Mm -hmm. And so very often the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind, which are counselors, their advisors, very often they vote in a block. <laughs> They do. They I, do. I've never heard it put that way, but it's true. I just had a conversation with someone, they, and it was like they were way out in the future. In my head, I, you know, sometimes when people are stressed, you don't want to have a real logical conversation. But it's like, well, I can foresee this and that. I'm thinking, holy cow, man, that is like so disastrous. Where's that coming from? But it was all of this self-preservation, fear. And I'm thinking, okay, that is just going to drive your anxiety through the friggin' roof. You That's know, right. And so we're going to be in charge. And, and, and so what's what's the answer uh, uh, from our culture? Oh, so, uh, some type of lifestyle choice, right? That takes me on vacation. So I might have a drink of alcohol. I might have a, a smoke of pot. I uh, might have a trip to Vegas. I might buy a new pair of shoes. But my experience is every 
every vacation is always over at a certain point. And that just brings me back to myself, which is miserable and in pain. So the unconscious mind goes into the group of advisors. Sure, because that's the storehouse of all these things that the ego and the senses are attached to. Okay. Well, then what are we to do? What is the, who's actually driving this car? That, well, that's, that's the question. That's the question. Who's driving the bus? That's right. And right now the answer is we're, we're very often hijacked by, the, by this, uh, I call them the three amigos, the ego senses and unconscious mind. The trace mm-hmm. amigos. I like yeah. it. And so I, I, I love the ego. I mean, I need an ego. I, I have senses. I have a body. Life is to be enjoyed. I love a wonderful meal. I love a, an exquisite dessert. So I'm not against all this stuff. I don't want to get rid of it. And some of that which is stored in the unconscious mind can be a lifesaver. It's very valuable. But how do we know whether it's to be trusted or or not to be trusted. And that leads us to the fourth function of the mind, which is the game changer, our conscience. Now, the conscience is the only function of the mind, only function of the mind that can discriminate, determine, judge, and decide. The conscience is our decision maker. This was a this was really uh, an eye opener for me when I first uh, came to uh, believe this, and what it meant was every single choice I have made in my entire life, and every single choice I will make in my entire life has been and always will be made by the conscience. Everybody, it's true for everybody. Everybody's actions are made and chosen by the conscience, but their conscience, our conscience can make two kinds of choices. If we do not love and parent the ego senses and unconscious mind and train them to be respectful and quiet, to listen, to the conscience, then the loud, pushy voices are going to create a such a disturbance in the mind that the conscience can only do one thing in service to its ability to make a decision, and that is to rubber stamp the loudest voice that it can hear. It's the same challenge that engineers have. There's this stereotypical engineer problem defined by the signal and the noise. So the signal can only operate at a certain low decibel level. And very often it's obliterated by the noise. So how is an engineer, how is a yoga scientist to reduce the noise to accentuate this low volume of a whisper coming from the signal. 
That's our job. But if we can do that, and I'll explain how to do that in a moment, but if I can love and, and parent the ego senses and unconscious mind after, after they give their opinions and their advice to sit down quietly, then the conscience can act as a mirror, and this mirror can reflect superconscious wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind. That's beyond the conscious portion. It's beyond the unconscious portion. It's the same portion of the mind where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations. It's the same portion of the mind where Paul McCartney hears beautiful melodies. Doesn't mean that I'm going to become a songwriter. And Sarah, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to become a physicist. What it does mean is that any human being who can quiet the ego senses and unconscious mind after they have given their advice and their perspective, if they can be quiet, the conscience can reflect superconscious wisdom that can positively affect every single unique relationship that each of us has. So let me ask this, you know, there's this, it's one of many, many different practices, but you know, there is the practice of when you have a problem and you've kind of thought through all this different stuff, but if you will ask the question and then go to bed and not ask it again, right? It's like, okay, I'm wondering X or what am I going to do about this? And then without much effort, you sometimes wake up knowing it, but then sometimes shortly after you just know, like the idea comes. Is that like a baby step of doing that? Sure. That what that does Essentially, it creates a space between stimulus and response, which, again, the culture is totally opposed to. <laughs> it, no, that's true. I know one of the hardest things that has been for me is when people want an answer to something, I say, I, I need to get back to you on that. Even if I have a knee-jerk response, it's often not the one I want to stop with, right? It's just a response. I the, first wanna... time, the first time I, I heard that, it was about 25 years ago on one of these talk shows on television and uh, there was uh, a guest and the interviewer asked a question and the response from the guest was that's an excellent question I'll have to think about that and and the interviewer said you, you we don't have time to think but we're on television <laughs> but I know so then don't ask such a deep question Right. Don't ask a question I need to think about. But that is, I mean, we are pressured for quick answers. And I think yes. it's important. Um, yeah. And there are folks who are real comfortable giving an answer off the top of their head, possibly because they've already thought through everything, sometimes just because they're comfortable doing well, it. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Most of the times, it's just that they're habituated to it. Mm hmm. Yeah, and they, it's a they have a very facile they have a very facile brain and mind so that they they can process things real quick that they've memorized and and they sound great even though often they're wrong. Yeah, and one of the things I've learned to do internally for myself is like right when I feel that impulse to chime in I'm going is this necessary and what if you don't add any value? Just be quiet, right? Let's wait. Someone else is going to speak up. And most often someone else says, you know, I was blah, blah, blah thinking. And it 
it's a better, it's they're further ahead in their thought process than I was. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're not into my now understanding of the ego or the senses or the unconscious. They've come at it differently. So, um, okay. So how do we know, or can we train ourselves maybe as a better way to spend more time being able to parent and list quiet and then tap into that super conscious or the conscious mind that's more that's more beneficial for living living yes it is and i find that the process is really entertaining and enjoyable and rewarding it really is the the whole process of experimenting is is just uh you know it's better than tv <laughs> because it has all the uh, all the uh, components of all these television shows you know the ego is going to uh, present something the senses are going to present something the unconscious mind is going to present something it's like watching uh, three different movies and well, you then, got the three acts right that's right that's right so what i do when i have uh, a choice to make is i call a meeting set up an appointment and I invite the ego, the senses, the unconscious mind, and the conscience to sit down at the kitchen table. And I'm, I play the role of the moderator or the parent. And I'm motivated by love because I, I want to help the, all, all of these functions of the mind, the ego, senses, unconscious mind, and the conscience to expand their awareness because this myopic perspective is just not helping us the way we need it to, because we have all of these mounting issues and challenges that seem not to be resolvable, but they are. And so I, I sit everybody around the, the kitchen table and like a loving parent, one by one, I ask, Ego, I want to uh, state that we've just finished We've just finished dinner. So the question before all of us is, are we going to brush our teeth? Or are we not going to brush our teeth? Ego, you start off the conversation. Thank you. I'm glad that you called on me first. <laughs> <laughs> I know what mine would say. <laughs> so the ego would say something like, this is a non-starter for me. It's very unpleasant. I vote no. Thank you. Thank you very much, I say, as the parent. Now, please have a seat, and I'm going to call on the senses next. Senses, what is your advice? What is your perspective? Well, if the truth be known, and I like to speak the truth, <clears throat> I had a wonderful dinner, but the dessert was fabulous. Uh, we had apple pie tonight, and that's my favorite. So, and so far as this brushing of the teeth, no. I'm with the ego. I think that's unpleasant right now, but I'm in favor of a second slice of apple pie. So that's what I vote for. Second slice of apple pie. Thank you very much. I say as the parent, thank you for sharing your, your perspective, unconscious mind. What, what do you have to share? So the unconscious mind says something like, well, I'm with the other two. That's my habit. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you very much. Now, I'd like to ask each of you just to quiet down because now I'm going to call on the conscience 
and I'm going to ask the conscience to reflect superconscious wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind. Conscience, would you please help us hear what you have to say? And the conscience would say something like, well, we all know and know that we know that this life that we're living, it's, it's not a sprint. It's more like a marathon. And for a marathon, we need healthy, strong teeth and healthy, strong gums and a healthy, strong immune system. And if we can just take a time out for two minutes and do an experiment. Now, we know an experiment is not forever. And if it doesn't work out, we don't have to do it again. But if we just take two minutes, have a timeout, brush our teeth, then come back and see what we experience. And so I encourage as the parent to do that. So we all walk off because it's a pretty easy no-brainer, right? It's not so hard. And so we go, we, we brush the teeth, we come back, we sit at the kitchen table, and again, the parent, myself, I call on the ego. What did you experience? Well, I was really surprised because generally up until that moment, I have equated just about every kind of change as some form of death to me. But it wasn't so bad, <laughs> and, and I'm still here. So I think that's a plus. Not so bad, I say. Okay, well, thank you. And senses? How about you? Well, I too was going to vote uh, uh, in, in the negative, but it wasn't so bad. In fact, after we brushed the teeth, I, I was taking note when the, when the tongue glided over the front teeth. There was no mossy feeling, and I despise that mossy feeling. Oh, it feels terrible, but it was clean, it was neat. So I had a good experience, a good sense experience. It was pleasant. Thank you. Unconscious mind, what did you experience? Wasn't so bad, wasn't so bad. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you. So what have I just done? Now, going in, I knew it was going to be relatively easy. So, you know, I sort of stacked the deck. That's what I want to do. I don't want to take on too much too soon. Yep. If, I never, if I never exercise to build muscles, the last thing I would do is go in the gym and pick up 200 pounds. That would hurt me. And the highest principle of all of yoga science is non-injury, non-harming. Learn to love ourselves. So I know that... The ego senses an unconscious mind are hesitant. Mm -hmm. And so I want to provide them something that will be pleasant. And that's just what I did. I offered them an experiment and they all had a relatively pleasant experience. And so what, what does that mean? They trust me more now after the experiment than before. And they also trust the conscience that the conscience uh, is not going to recommend anything that is going to obliterate them, bring about a death. And that provides me as the parent a, a beachhead to offer another experiment, another simple experiment, and another simple experiment, each time a pleasant experiment for the ego senses and unconscious mind, and they begin 
to have a wider, wider, wider panoramic view of what is acceptable. It's a game changer. And you're stacking their trust in you too. Yes. Right. So they're going, no, it it wasn't so bad last time. Let's, let's give them a little more latitude. I'm not going to freak out. This is an experiment, right? That's right. So, um, I like that. And as much, we can laugh at that, but it really is being able to pull apart that stuff, you know, and as you were describing it, I'm thinking, oh yeah, do I want to get rid of the apple pie taste? But then I could always come back after I brush my teeth and have one if I really want one. But I mean, honestly, those conversations are going on. You might as well acknowledge them. I haven't noticed the parent as often. That's the one that says, okay, I think we're done talking here. Now it's time to do, let's go do it. Let's see what we think. Um, But it is a game changer and you put it pretty simply. So I want to change the direction because I think we're heading in that way, but I have a question for you. That's forward looking. Okay. We are coming up on January, 2022. um, And I'm assuming you will once again, do national conscience month. Yep. Can you talk about, why, what was the inspiration for starting National Conscience Month and what's possible? What motivated uh, National Conscience Month, and I've been, I've been contemplating this for at least 15 years. I, I finally founded it in 2020. Uh, and it's the same reason that I wrote the book, Your Conscience. We just don't know the value of the conscience. We don't even understand the conscience. We don't understand the value of training and parenting our own mind so that the ego senses and unconscious mind can mature and can be very helpful to us. They are already in many respects, but they can be even more helpful to us. And so National Conscience Month was an attempt to start a national conversation, a national awareness, because we know that January is sort of a time for uh, New Year's resolutions. And basically, New Year's resolutions is sort of like National Conscience Month, but it doesn't have the philosophy and the science to support it. And it doesn't have this experimentation concept that is very, very helpful. And so for my experience, again, you know, the ego, the senses and the unconscious mind, they're going to, they're going to endorse not all the time, but often enough, my taking on a new year's resolution just so that I can fail at it. (laughs) Right? Because they know that they're in charge. They know that they're in charge. So they're sort of like the old, fisher person who's fishing and uh, uh, hooks the fish and then lets the fish swim out, exhausting itself, and then slowly pulls it back, knowing that the hook is in. We got you, Leonard. Go ahead. Start your new thing. That's right. Knock yourself out. (laughs) We'll see you back here in February. That's right. But without the cynicism, what do we do in National Conscience Month? Well, we uh, have uh, decided that we are, we've launched, this is the third year that we have a a scholarship 
awarded to uh, a senior in high school who writes an essay um, that is uh, evaluated uh, by professional writers. And so the winning uh, applicant will get a $2,000 scholarship for advanced educational purposes. Sweet. Yeah. It's just, it's a building block. Yep. A stepping stone, if you will. So, and do you have activities people participate in? Are you teaching on it? What, how would I, I know I was a part of it? Or is it just something we all do on our own? Well, we have a website, consciencemonth.org, and we have uh, uh, a calendar and we have events and we'll, we will be having webinars uh, throughout the month. Uh, we have a lot of uh, physicians uh, who are our students because we have the uh, uh, AMA certification for continuing medical education credits. And so we, we have uh, had in the past, and we will again this year, have these physicians, these healthcare providers, uh, talk about how they use their conscience in everyday life, both professionally and personally. And we invite ideas from other people because we, we want this to be open to everybody. That's fabulous. So, Leonard, I think the one of start wrapping this up by asking you, you've got the Conscience Month, you have your book, you have other things that you're doing. What are the best places for people to stay connected with you? How, if someone's listening to this, where would you want them to go to say, hey, checking out Leonard, I want more? <laughs> Well, the book has its own website called yourconscience.org, yourconscience.org. And that will tell you a little bit about Leonard. It'll tell you a little bit about the book and just what we've been talking about and uh, where you'll be able to get it. Of course, it's available nationally everywhere. Uh, all fine booksellers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And uh, in 1996, I founded the American Meditation Institute. And so that's where I teach. And we have a foundation course, the foundation course of yoga science that incorporates all of what I've been speaking about, plus information about Ayurvedic medical principles, because we have a body and certain foods are helpful to each unique body. Uh, and easy, gentle yoga, breathing practices, seated meditation. So it's a very holistic uh, course. And that can be reached at AmericanMeditation.org, AmericanMeditation.org. And I might mention that at, on the homepage of AmericanMeditation.org, we have a link on the homepage to a free guided meditation and conversation, just like you and I have had uh, today, Sarah, every Sunday from 9.30 to 11 Eastern time. And it's free. Also, uh, on the following Monday, you will receive a free recording of the guided meditation and the conversation that you can go back to and use as a guide. 
for your own practice. Okay, so that's on Sunday. So that link is on your website? Yes. Okay. So there are many ways to stay connected with Leonard and his work and the Institute, the book. Um, any parting words, Leonard, that you want folks to remember as they go off into their day or evening, depending on when they're listening to this? Yes, I, I would. I would like to remind people that I don't want you to believe a word I have said in any of this conversation. Truly, I don't want you to believe a word. I don't want you to trust me, what I am interested in, and I will support you 100% in this. If you have been interested in any aspect of what I presented, I would encourage you to turn and transform your entire mind, body, sense complex into your personal laboratory for experimenting and experiment with what you heard. Don't just trust me. Only when you experiment and experience it for yourself will you own the truth and you will become self-reliant instead of being relying, reliant on me or some other talking head. That's why Shakespeare says, above all else, to thine own self be true. Find out what that means. Experiment with the truth, this super conscious wisdom that is within you, that is you having this human experience. Leonard, thank you. I took away so many gems from our conversation today. You have a unique ability to put into pictures, at least for me, um, the images that go along with the concepts. Um, so parenting and all of that, that allows me to just make it very simple, right? You can have a conversation with a kid, depending on how old they are, the conversation goes better. Um, but I want to thank you for that. And Folks, if you are listening to this podcast, no matter if it's before 2022, after, it doesn't matter. If you have been moved by what Leonard shared with you, I echo what he said, experiment, but also go check out his other resources. I've been onto his links, his pages. There's really valuable information. There's some great videos there to listen to um, that'll help even put more nuances, I guess I would say around the concept. And if you know somebody who would benefit from Leonard's teachings today and what he shared, please share this podcast with them because how do we get Leonard's word out by sharing? So with that, I want to thank you, Leonard, again. And for the listening community, I look forward to seeing you next week on the podcast. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash No Labels, No Limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review, and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.